Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm honored to welcome the author of As Many as the Stars, the founder of Care for Children, Dr. Robert Glover, OBE. How are you doing today? I'm just fine, yeah. Thank, thanks very much for uh, allowing me to talk with you. Yes, sir. And I like the name of your book, As Many as the Stars. Would you explain to our listeners the uh, genesis of that title? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, um, it's one of those things that God puts in a trial across your life. And uh, many years ago, before um, I ever went or dreamed about going to China, um, I was uh, in a little church in Guernsey in the Channel Islands, um, which is probably closer, although it's um, a protector of the uh, British Isles, it's um, closer to France. Beautiful little island. And I was at church one morning, and um, um, a man came into our church, and uh, he was praying with uh, people. And he came over to me, and he prayed, and he just said, I just sense you're going to be father to as many stars there are on the sky. And I, I thought, wow, that is some crazy word. You know, I mean, um, have you seen how many stars are up there? And, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I had six children at the time and, um, we were doing children's work at church and youth. Um, and so we, I kind of put it in a box and, you know, as you do with these things, you put them in your subconscious. Um, and of course, many years later, I had this opportunity to go to Shanghai. Um, my my work with the British government was in social welfare for children, and they had a particular interest in developing family placement, um, long-term family care for children. And so um, while I was over there, I talked to various people. I got on very well with the Chinese. I loved the food. I loved um, their culture, everything to do with China at that time. Um, and... Um, by the time I got back, the British government said, look, they want you to be their consultant. Will you, you know, are you prepared to go and move there? Um, which was quite a big deal. Um, we took that plunge, my wife and six children, and we moved from beautiful Guernsey to the metropolis of Shanghai. And they decided, the Chinese decided I should have a Chinese name. And so they spent a long time discussing that and eventually came up with a name. He said, as many stars are on the sky, you'll be father to children in China. And I thought, wow, immediately that subconscious went back to that years before when that pastor had come and prayed with me. And that Chinese name was Lao Baba, is that right? Lao Baba, yeah. Um, eventually they decided I couldn't use that because um, it means old father, mate, basically like old Abraham father. And um, many of the people I was working with were older than me. So culturally, it was it was seen um, it was a good name to have in the bag. But my working name um, became something called Gerluder, which meant um, Ger was a an advisor to the Emperor of China many years before Lu being the road der to um, um, uh, better morality. So that that was my working name. But there was always this. Lobaba that had um, 
you know, it was a foundation to, you know, what God had called me to in China. Well, your background is really remarkable also. Uh, you confide in just the preface of your book, As Many as the Stars, that your father left your family when you were very young. And How did that shape your experiences? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it was a time when that that often didn't happen and there was a lot of shame around that and a lot of um, yeah, embarrassment. But um, my mother was a great mother and, and my grandmother came up to, uh, to live with us and, and so I was surrounded by women. I had my mother, my grandmother and my two sisters. Um, but it, of course there were times where you, you saw the huge gap where, you know, for instance, when I was playing, as you call it in, in America, soccer, um, everybody else had their fathers there and of course the fathers would talk to the coach and how do you think my son played it? Didn't he play well? Da, da, da. And of course my mother was there screaming and shouting on the side which sometimes I, you know, I, I was very appreciative but I, sometimes I wish she wasn't there. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so of course there, there becomes a gap, there becomes a hole. We know that. We know that children need, you know, both maternal and paternal um influences in their lives. So um, I think it became very much a, um, a plumb line for the future in trying to help other kids. And then you went off to be a submariner in the Royal Navy. I'll invite our listeners to read your book, As Many as the Stars, to find out about those adventures. But I wanted to ask you about the unexpected way that God got your attention in the mid-1980s by way of a terrifying medical diagnosis. Yeah, um, I I was raised a Christian, and, uh, you know, I went to church on a Sunday, and I, you know, would have communion with my mother, and uh, Jesus was very central, you know, and I felt, you know, Father God had, you know, almost stepped into that earthly father role, and so I... I felt very strongly and committed as a Christian. I think then you go into playing soccer, it's a totally different world. That failed, and you go into, you know, the Royal Navy, which is a very sort of um, macho world. And so it was almost like, you know, well, God and Jesus can, you know, they can wait, you know, while I try and navigate my through, way through these, um, the, the, these lives. And then, of course, when I came out of the Royal Navy, I um, had this experience when I woke up one morning and, um, you know, I I felt tingling in my legs and my hands and eventually went to, um, you know, to I was at college at the time and I think my legs gave way and eventually by the time I got back at home, um, my wife called the doctor out and, you know, we didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. the interesting thing was my wife was a training nurse and she was training um, one of her projects was um, around a, a, an illness called Guillain-Barre syndrome um, and so she actually diagnosed to the doctor what I had um, which was Guillain-Barre syndrome and of course that um, um, was you know potentially life-threatening and certainly disability threatening in the sense of I think something like 80% end up with a disability so um, it was up against the wall and um, 
Um, I think at that time, um, I remember um, being in the hospital. I was in intensive care, and they sent me down for an X-ray. I was waiting in the corridor, and um, in in a lot of pain, a lot of um, confusion, and I don't know if you know those hospital doors that sort of flap open, um, but these doors sort of flapped open. This wind came through, and I and I just thought, wow. Taking that fresh air, I thought, you know, I'd been in a stuffy hospital and there was this fresh air and it was just filling my lungs up. I felt so good. Well, that night, my my mother and um, wife came to my bedside and they said, wow, you look really good. You know, yesterday you were, you were almost starting to lose um, your sense of reality. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, yeah. I looked at the clock at 11 o'clock and, you know, the, the, the doors opened. And this wind came through and I just felt, you know, incredibly just filled and fresh and, you know, bright again. And um, they smiled and looked at each other. And at 11 o'clock, they had gathered all the people in the church and other churches to pray for me. So, um, I, yeah, I have no doubt that that, 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 that that prayer was answered and I was healed at that time. That's a blessing. So it kind of like, yeah, it got the point where I hit the hit the brick wall and I thought, you know, you can't run from God anymore. You can't run. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the time to take him serious and, um, and, and dedicate your life, you know, because, you know, what Jesus did for us was remarkable. Um, he adopted us in, you know, God adopted us into his family. And I think that from there, you know, we, both Liz and I wanted to make sure that we gave our lives to serve God wherever he wanted to take us. Amen. And listeners, you can get the sense that uh, in Dr. Glover's book, he makes himself very vulnerable to the readers. And I would say perhaps most of all, when you talk about your wife's spiritual awakening, it's fair to say that preceded your own. Um, would you please comment? I'm going to read this uh, two verses that you attach significance to relative to the development of Liz's and your faith. It's from Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in human will. What did that mean to Liz and yourself, Dr. Glover? Well, I think, you know, it's very much Liz's um, journey, and, and I think what she realized, um, um, she was going through quite a lot of turmoil. We got, when we got married, we got married in the Church of England. Um, I'd, been, I'd been baptized and confirmed. She hadn't, so she went through baptism and confirmation, and we had confirmation, you know, um, we had communion at our wedding. However, she would say now she was not a Christian at that point in time. So um, I think she she got quite confused about everything and um, had actually befriended a couple of ladies that were taking her to the Kingdom Hall, Jehovah's Witnesses. And she was very close to going to her first meeting when she woke up and she saw she, she was crying and she said, Jesus, I need to know the truth. And this, this passage came out and she immediately knew that the Jehovah's Witnesses have got it wrong because it's not the will of man, it's the will of God uh, in our lives. And I think she rang the 
the, the, the vicar of the Church of England, and he said, oh, come and inspire me. And she told him, and he didn't get it, and she went round and shook the Jehovah's Witnesses and said, look, you're wrong. It's a, and of course, they didn't get it, but for her, it was the ultimate. It was the ultimate truth, and, and from that point, she knew, you know, Jesus was the only way. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that also gave a, a, a huge hunger scripture um, and you'll probably see that throughout the book you know, where she often turns to scripture and, and 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 the word becomes alive yes sir and then it manifests uh through and you've mentioned how you went to china uh you've got to have a lot of faith to step out like that and i want to talk now a little bit about uh how you did your work in china um one thing that we've all uh heard of probably is this one child policy that they had in China. So I wanted to ask you beyond the obvious, what were some of the consequences of that policy? Yeah, the, the obvious um, was because of one child policy. Initially, there was um, a lot of children being abandoned. And um, initially, it was a gender issue because culturally, in China, um, and I, I think this is what perhaps the West don't understand. They just simplify and think, oh, it's a gender issue. But culturally in China, um, it is your son's wife that takes care of you in old age. Now, in China at the time, there were, there were no old age homes or uh, adult homes or whatever. You, but there was no old age pension. There was no old age um, medical care. So it was your son's wife that took care of you so if you didn't have a son you know fundamentally you were not going to be cared for in old age so it was um that was the, the driving force and having you know sons so um initially i think you know we saw uh, a lot of girls being abandoned and and, and ending up in institutions right across china um later on um China did a, and they interestingly they call it um, propaganda, um, and they're quite open about calling it propaganda. But they did this whole campaign across China, love girls, and I, 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 I was very skeptical and um, thinking, you can't tell people what you know <laughs> to love girls, uh, but it worked, and um, it was quite remarkable that people actually started to, you know, turn their attention to you know the preciousness of. Of girls and and so later in our work we found that majority of the children that were being abandoned were more uh, around disabilities um, but of course the consequences from the one child policy was this ended up with probably around two million children living in institutions that had been abandoned um, which obviously created a, a big problem but um, with the timing of, of our work was that we were able then to work with the government um, on a, a long-term family placement program where uh, any family could have up to three children um, from, you know, um, from them being orphaned or abandoned in, a, in an institution. So, it, you know, it, it was a win-win in that situation. Now, that's through your work with Care for Children. Uh, Listeners, we're talking with Dr. Robert Glover about his book, As Many as the Stars, and now we're going to get into the portion about his ministry, Care for Children. Uh, in 1997, you had a fortuitous meeting 
with a man who did not call you Robert, but he called you Roger. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about that meeting and, and then what it meant for your work in China? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think we, um, uh, I guess one of the things that I was very conscious of in the first meeting was there were other NGOs there and other people talking to um, this group of people, and they were all wagging their fingers and telling them off and telling them they're all doing it wrong. And I, I, I just thought, how, how extremely rude, you know. Um, we're guests in their country. They've given us amazing food, hospitality, and um, I thought it was rather rude. So I, I, um, I just kept complimenting them on their food. And I think in the end, they, um, the head guy turned to some one of the other chaps and said, you know, get rid of the others and bring Robert back. And I think it was just, you know, I think God, God opens doors through relationships. And um, it's not always through um, legislation or policy or practice. It starts with relationship with people who are prepared to be servant-hearted, um, who are prepared to you, uh, um, not promote themselves, but to serve and help others to make a difference in children's lives. And I think that was always my um, that was always my motivation. That that you know, what a privilege to be able to be um, a consultant to to the Chinese and help them with social welfare reform. Um, and something that's strategic, it could make a huge difference to many children. So uh, I think, you know, it starts with that attitude. And as Christians, you know, I think we, we go in humble, submissive, and, and build relationships. And I think from that, we can get a lot done. We can get a lot, you know, we get past all the, the other um, roadblocks and, 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 and build a roadmap right the way through. Um, and I think that's what happened. Now, that man I mentioned who called you to a meeting and he referred to you as Roger all the time was Sir Richard Branson. How did he impact uh, Care for Children? <laughs> yeah, Roger, <laughs> that's a funny one. Um, so um, in the early days, I um, we started in um, Shanghai and um, the British M- ambassador called me and said, um, you know, uh, Richard Branson wants to meet you. So I said, well, okay, I'm back in in the um, UK. Um, I can't, you know, I was back at, for, for some holiday anyway. And um, so we agreed to go and see him. And um, um, I met him, uh, I think it was just after summer, he'd been out to his island and uh, very relaxed. And um, anyway, I was talking about, you know, our project and what we wanted to do. And I could see very clearly he was switched off. He, you know, he, he hadn't, really got the interest in our project and so the meeting came to the end and I thought that was very disappointing and as I was leaving with the ambassador um, he was running up the stairs and he turned back and he said Roger let's do it and I said wow that's amazing okay and so as we walked out the ambassador said uh, well that was pretty good and my friend who came with me said no that's God um, giving Robert his transport manager uh, and uh, so we developed a relationship and uh, he in fact he came out to Shanghai and he did a, a party a, like a tea party for all the kids and the families um, and of course every time he saw me it was Roger how are you doing and yeah I, I didn't correct him but um, he seemed to like to call me Roger all the time and uh, 
I remember many years later, he was in Shanghai and um, that they put on a a spread at one of the like a bar come nightclub, and they invited me to come down. I um, I, I felt a bit out of sorts, but um, eventually he arrives. You see, and uh, he's talking to everybody in the room. Everybody's round him, taking photographs. And anyway, I said to the guys, "I'm going to go um, tell him, you know, I turned up, and you know, I'll catch him next time." So on the way out, I was in the toilet and um, thought, "Well, you know, that was a waste of an evening." And then I heard from behind me, "Roger!" Because <laughs> he he he'd followed me, uh, and and yeah, we had a chat. And, but he. Um, so they they did a they did a they did a little video of one of the children that were placed in the families and they played it on all their airplanes and and raised a lot of money to help the Shanghai project. On all their airplanes, he founded Virgin Atlantic Airlines, so they, they had a few. Well, I want to fast forward to uh, 2005. You had moved from Shanghai to Beijing, and you were on another three-year contract, and. You mentioned before, Dr. Glover, about uh, having a servant heart, and that comes through loud and clear with your ministry, the work at Care for Children, and all these things that you've done. But you were advised there in 2005 that somebody else wanted to meet with you. The Queen of England had selected you for the Order of the British Empire. Now, can you just describe briefly sort of what that felt like, uh, humble servant, working with orphans in China and Queen Elizabeth says, Hey, I want to pat you on the back. Well, amazing privilege. You know, if, if you understand, um, um, any Englishman's, um, dedication and love for the queen. Um, yeah, I, I have, again, I received a phone call from the ambassador in Beijing. I was, I think I was somewhere in middle of China and, um, he, he said to me, um, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said, y you, you've been honored in the New Year's Honors lit by the Queen. And I just went silent because it just didn't mean it. I, I mean, I just could, I couldn't receive that. I couldn't take that in. And um, and then he, he said, you are going to accept it, aren't you? Because I think he thought because I went silent, I was um, going to be rebellious or something. And uh, um, so, yeah, it was just initially something that was uncomprehensible. Um, but, um, there's always a funny story with, um, with, with my journeys. And, uh, I, um, my, what my mother, um, we were allowed three people. So my mother came with me, my wife and my youngest daughter. And my mother had grown up in London and loved the queen. And she'd never been anywhere. Um, and in that one day she went to Buckingham palace and met the queen. And then we went afterwards to the house of Lords. Um, to have lunch with Lord Laming and sitting behind her was the Archbishop of Canterbury and sitting across was Margaret Thatcher and for her you know, at the end of the day she was just in tears because it was such an emotional day of having everything in one day um, I on the other hand decided that I you, normally you have to wear top hat and tails and everything. I decided to wear a traditional Chinese um, suit which has got a round collar and a little white bit showing. Well, <laughs> on the morning of um, going to Buckingham Palace, I came down for breakfast. I was staying in a hotel. And these two 
dear old ladies with walking sticks came through and they said, good morning, father. <laughs> and they, they, they thought I was a Catholic priest because I, I was dressed in this, uh, Catholic, in this Chinese suit, uh, traditional suit. So, but uh, I mean, what an honor um, to meet her and, and, and incredible. I think that day she, she um, honored about 150 people, but she knew so much detail. She said to me, and you have six children. And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And she said, and you went, took them to China. And I said, I did, ma'am. And, and, and she said, um, and you did all this for Jesus. And I said, yes, I did, ma'am. And she said, God bless you. And it was such a privilege to be her, uh, her herself, a very humble servant, um, you know, of, of our father. Well, speaking of special recognition, uh, your work with Care for Children has drawn a lot of favorable attention. Uh, I was a little surprised by some of the the different kinds of people who were drawn in by this. Uh, a lot of these folks have become what you would call ambassadors for Care for Children. Uh, one of the most beautiful actresses in the world, uh, Zhang Ziyi, I don't know if I'm saying that properly, but... Uh, People have seen her movies like Steven Spielberg's uh, Memoirs of a Geisha um, or The mm. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, anyway, phenomenal, uh, well-known actress uh, decides to be an ambassador for Care for Children, along with uh, Bear Grylls. A lot of people have heard of him. Uh, mm. How do people like that coming alongside you and saying, we're going to lend our support uh, and spread the word about this? How has that been uh influential or affecting the work of care for children yeah I, I i honestly think you know when you you go out and meet the needs of the poor um often the rich and famous are, are, are jealous um and and you know they, they they contact you because often a lot of their life is very empty and and you know they see you know they would love to be in that position to be able to do that so you know, Jiang Zi was um, was a great example. I mean, I I took her to many places across China to see the children, and she just loved being amongst them. Um, and I think if she had the choice between being on the red carpet or being in an orphanage with kids, she'd go for the orphanage with the kids. And um, um, you know, I built a relationship with her. She was didn't have faith. Um, on one trip, I gave her a cross. And I've noticed she's worn it ever since. I gave her the gospel. I don't know whether she gave her life to the Lord, but that's not for me. Um, that's for God to, um, you know, work on our heart. Um, you know, Bear Grylls is a Christian. Um, I think um, a lot of people that come and work with Care for Children start on a journey, you know, and uh, I think that journey often deepened their faith as they, you know, work with us. And uh, because ultimately, you know, this is expression of the gospel in the sense that God adopted us into his family. Isn't that just remarkable that we didn't deserve that? We didn't, you know, we, we, you know, we had no chance of ever doing that. And yet through Jesus Christ, you know, we, we're adopted into his family. So I think there's an expression of that you know as we as we go out and reach out to orphans and and place them into families you know, that that is incredibly transforming for those children um 
one American man said to me, you know, you placed a million children, and, if, and we think about 80% of those went into Christian families. He said, that's the best evangelistic program I've ever heard of. Um, <laughs> and, of course, that wasn't any of our intention. But God knows what he's doing. You know, when he sees those little children and he sees their hearts and he sees them in those Christian families, um, that's part of his redemptive um, characteristic. And I think yeah, sometimes he, he doesn't, as Christians, we often want to do the whole jigsaw puzzle. And, and, and I think he wants us just to put the one piece he gives us in place. And then it allows, allows him to reveal himself. And I think that's all I was doing. Just, you know, yeah, take my one piece of the jigsaw puzzle, put it in place, and see how God reveals himself across the nation of China. And I think, you know, when a million children, a million orphans are placed back into family, that would change the nation of China in the future. Amen to that. So listeners, I hope that you've gotten the the sense there's two things I would encourage you in. Uh, one, uh, look up Care for Children uh, and support that ministry. It is effective. It is powerful. And you've heard some of uh, the fruit that it has borne. Uh, God uses that ministry in a powerful way. And also, uh, buy and read the and share this book, As Many as the Stars, uh, it reads like a novel. It really, uh, you've, you've heard from Dr. Glover, he's a real storyteller. This book reads like a novel. And there are stories in it also. We didn't have time to go through uh, much of it, but uh, he gives a story of a young man. Uh, I don't know how to say his name, Zero, but they call him Joe. It will bring you to tears. It's, it will also lift your spirits. Um, but as we wrap up our discussion today, Dr. Glover, I wanted to ask you about current trends in China. You left a decade ago, but you're surely more closely tied in than the rest of us. And I just wanted to ask you, should we over here in the Western world be optimistic and hopeful for China in spite of their authoritarian government? Or what, what do you see as the way forward is where they're going? Yeah, I think, you know, we often judge a country by its administration. And, and, and that may be America, that may be China, that may be Britain. We've all gone through traumatic administrations. And what I would say is go beyond that. The Chinese people are humble. You know, they are um, industrious. They are, you know, the greatest revival in Christian history has taken place in China. You know, we're talking about 10% maybe um, of the Chinese population, 120 million Christians. So, um, I think we always judge from the tip of the iceberg. Um, sometimes we've got to look at, go down deeper. Um, my experience of living and being alongside Chinese people is phenomenal. And I think they are phenomenal people. Um, I think the importance is, as I say, don't get, um, don't get blinkered by the tip of the iceberg. Don't get blinkered by the administration. Um, I think there is a, an amazing uh, love-hate relationship between America and China. Um, I think, you know, the politics don't do the people justice because when the people come together, um, there is a real solidarity there. That is an encouragement. Uh, I hope that uh, the the hearts of the people will triumph and the uh, any sort of authoritarianism will wane over time. Uh, 
Well, thank you so much, Dr. Robert Glover, for being my guest on Core Principles. And as the late, great Queen Elizabeth said to you, I also say God bless you. Thank you very much. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.